This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. Hi there, welcome to a new episode of the Industrial AI Podcast. My name is Peter Seberg and my guest today is Hanna Benke. Hanna is Machine Learning Project Manager at Merantix Momentum. And uh, Hanna and I today are going to be talking about Chat GPT and Co. for industry. Hello, Hanna. Hi, Peter. Nice to meet you and thanks for having me today. Oh, you're welcome. Looking forward to such a trendy, I would say, uh, topic. If it's a hype or not, you're going to tell me later on. But before then, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Let us know what you do at, and maybe you want to tell us a bit about Marantix Momentum as well. Sure. Happy to do that. So I'm working as an project management lead at Marantix Momentum, which is a Berlin-based service provider for AI solutions. And I do have a technical background by training. So I've been studying computer science and machine learning at Imperial College London with a particular focus on natural language processing. Oh, wow. And I really find that it is a fascinating time to work in AI at the moment. So as you've already said, research is really advancing quickly in this field. And what I find particularly interesting is really bringing these recent trends into industry and solving applied real-world problems in a user-centric way. And that's essentially exactly what I'm doing with my colleagues at Morantix Momentum. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sure, I can also continue a bit and talk a bit more about what we do at Morantix Momentum. Uh, yeah, please give us a quick introduction into Morantix or specifically uh, Morantix Momentum, yes, if you want to. Yes, happy, happy to go into that. So Morantix Momentum, as I said, is a service provider for AI solutions. And what we do is we cover the entire AI value chain. So we do start kind of on the strategic level. So we support companies in finding interesting AI use cases they can implement in their daily business, but also on a higher level to help companies reach the next stage in the AI maturity journey and scale their AI initiatives. And then at our core, we are, of course, a tech company. We are implementing AI solutions with and for our clients Yeah, that is always usually customized solutions. So it's always super interesting to engage with domain experts and understand what their needs are and then really going to solve these problems and solve these ideas in particular. Okay. Last but not least, then we also operate these solutions or help clients to find a great setup to operate the solutions themselves. MLOps, as you're for sure aware, is of course always also a bit, bit tricky and can be quite challenging. So that is also something that we are working on together with our clients. Sounds great. Yeah, I strongly agree. We're living in very, very interesting times. And if you have a background in natural language processing, which is, of course, the base for chat GPT large language models, that must be the more interesting. And also for us as listeners, because that's what we're going to be talking about, you know, the application or chat GPT and co for industry. Maybe you want to give us a quick introduction. Uh, what is it that uh, listeners can expect from this? talk today yeah so what we want to do today is to talk a bit about first of all the fundamentals of ai so we can talk a bit about the technical background what recent developments have been happening in the space but then also how we can apply that in industry what use cases are out there what 
one can think about and take into the daily work to kickstart essentially finding cool use cases and implementing those in your own organizations. Right. And then we're probably going to, you know, do a little bit of a more deep dive into uh, applications specifically being an industrial AI podcast into industrial uh, use cases. So maybe I'm not sure that we have to explain or that you should, maybe you can. <laughs> it's really only at another podcast the other day. And I believe I said only for those listeners that have been maybe living on another planet, or maybe they have been out for three months on whatever leave and they have no clue what it is that you're talking about. Maybe in two, three sentences, what is ChatGPT? And then maybe at the same time already talk about how has it been received more on a, let's say, on a comparative uh, level, you know, around the globe, maybe how in Europe, in Germany, Berlin, where you're based, or London, UK, uh, where you've studied. Sure, happy to do that. So ChatGPT was released by OpenAI in December last year. And really quickly gain popularity. And what is ChatGPT? So, so it's essentially, uh, we can say, a chat application at its core and building on top of a really large language model, very powerful language model developed by OpenAI. And what's been so special about how it's been perceived is that and because you can access it also quite easily just via your browser, um, there has been a lot of trials going on. People have been logging on, trying and really working with and engaging with ChatGPT, and it rapidly gained popularity and, and spread around the globe, which was fascinating to see. And to be honest, while of course it is a hype, I'm super excited to see how many people engage with this tool in creative ways. Mm -hmm. So that is actually, from, from my perspective, rather a positive development. Yeah. So really everybody's seeing now what AI can do and starting to get creative and yeah, get heads on essentially. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, I mean, it's about, you know, the hi I mean, hype is always like, uh, it's a double swarded thing, right? It's like, you know, the Gartner hype cycle. Many listeners know about that one. Hype is always this thing. Well, it doesn't mean that it's going to be completely nothing, only hype. There's a, a positive thing. Uh, I'm not going to go further in here, but I can share for myself here that from the beginning, I always thought, okay, it's, this is very good and interesting from a productivity improvement perspective. There were still, and probably still are, you can comment on that, so problems on answering specific uh, questions. But it feels like over a very short time, these two, three months, that four months already in the meantime or five that they have also coming up with uh, with solutions at the same time we see people you know like a turing award uh, winner uh, godfather ai resolving from and going away from from google so there's so many things happening around this tool right absolutely yes i can absolutely agree so i think what's really important to understand is that ChatGPT itself is is an application, mm. but the power is driven by its core, which is a language model. So currently GPT 3.5 or now also newly released GPT 4. So these language models, they really drive the power of what's going on here and what's happening in the space. And what's important to, to consider is that it is not only chat that is mm -hmm. enabled, but there are also a range of other use cases that you can solve with language, with language kind of becoming more and more a universal interface for right. not only communication between humans, but also communication between humans and machines, or even potentially between machines. 
since, yeah, you can also imagine use cases where, for example, yeah, you ask a question, maybe in language, and then mm -hmm. the model translates that to written language, then this question is solved and again, then translated back and put out as, as audio. So it's increasingly becoming this universal interface, which is super exciting to see. Which I'm sure you have kind of been expecting as you've been studying NLP. And I must say, you know, about four or five years ago, when we started the podcast with Sepp Hochreiter, also, you know, inventor of LSTM, you know, before the transformer models, you know, the standard for whatever had to do with language. Uh, and you can confirm or disagree on that one. Uh, and he said, you know, sure, we need to start talking to machines as an example, right? Or to any of the assistants. And I have one or two of them in the place where I'm sitting here. But I would never have uh, thought, you know, that actually language would have been you know, the, let's say, the entry point into this, whatever we call then artificial intelligence, machine learning, that's the other philosophical thing that we are. Maybe you want to bring us all at the same level by saying what it is that we need to know about how ChatGPT, other large language models function. Yes, of course. I think and also what you just said, this development in the recent years, that's very very crucial and super interesting to understand. So you're coming from times where it was still quite quite difficult, quite challenging to capture context in language. Mm. And this is really what has been changing. So in, of course, LSTMs have already been an amazing start to that journey. And then continuing there in 2017 with attention is all you need, the transformer model was right. released, which was a significant step towards capturing even longer ranges of, of context And with that also came this technology of being able to, to have this core language model that already learns to, to capture language. So the way this is trained is that really you put in huge amounts, huge amounts of data, of text data, and train this model to complete sentences, for example. So it learns on this data corpuses what a likely next token, what a likely next word is in a sentence, right. and thereby captures the basic rules of language. And then what happened in the next years is that we had these large language models at a core and were able to fine tune that mm. to a specific task also. So with significantly less data needed for this fine tuning step, you could now also customize your models to solve very specific tasks. And now we are kind of in this third phase of evolution in this space, mm. I would say, where these models become so powerful that even the fine-tuning might not be necessary because it's the, the model is so capable that it's more about engineering what we ask the model right. to get a specific output that where we can already get quite far, potentially even with without fine, these fine-tuning steps. Um, and I think that's really where we are at right now, and that's very, very exciting to see. Right. So before I go into that, you also refer to attention is all you need, transformer models for since five years in the market. So would you confirm that for the moment, you know, like, you know, the majority or all of the large language models, I'm going to ask you later on to give us like a quick overview, maybe that they are, you know, transformer based. So they have been moving on from LSTMs or... Yes, I think one can say so. So there are definitely also experiments going on, exploring different architectures. But yeah. at the moment, this is 
still the state of the art, of course, with mm -hmm. many very intelligent engineering tunes uh, going on. And, and also, for example, with ChatGPT, there are new training methods developed to, to go from this very raw, let's say, language model, which takes basically 98% of compute power goes into training this first core. But then on top of that, there's been some some really cool techniques that are being right. deployed to improve the models, to fine-tune on, on more okay. carefully curated data, and then also use this reinforcement learning from human feedback. And that's right. very technical. I don't want to go into too much detail, but I think it's quite exciting because it is a way to incorporate human data and human feedback and then make the model uh, train on that and improve even further and that is very very exciting but in the core it's it's transformers yeah yeah i think we come to that in a sec yeah and i'm going to just repeat what zap has actually told a couple of days ago i think it was in front of the uh, german uh, no not german sorry austrian television yeah because he's based as a professor in linz that he does have a lstm based a large language solution, which he believes is in certain ways superior. And I do not more, know more than that, exactly what he said on television. We do believe that we are going to be the first ones to hear from him if he's uh, capable to, or in a position to be showing some results. So I'm going to ask you then, what then is uh, ChatGPT, other large language models? What are they capable of doing? What can they not do? And as we already know, you know, at least in the beginning, maybe less in the meantime, they have not been good at providing very, you know, correct, always correct answers to very specific questions. And I believe that's where, and feel free to do, not go into too much detail, but exactly this reinforcement learning by what is it, human factor. So what is then the role of humans to you know to to make to correct so to say this capability where the models are not that good yet yes happy to comment on that so yes one really has has to say that these models have been coming very far but of course there are also limitations and i believe that while these can be perceived as risks as long as we are aware of them we can still use these models and mm -hmm. limit these risks by yeah engineering essentially. Right. So maybe to start with what it is capable of doing, we already had some comments on, of course, you, you can chat with it, um, but also there's other things you can do with it, like, for example, summarizing texts, answering questions, classifying and extracting text paragraphs from resources. So there's a very broad range of things that you can do that are language-based, but there are also some important things to consider where these models still struggle with. There are drawbacks. So, for example, as you just also said, this, this point of factual correctness. So a language model in its core is trained to produce plausible output, but not mm -hmm. necessarily correct output. And that's very crucial to understand because it's very mm. core in this training method, this, this next token or sentence completion, essentially. Yeah. Uh, this encourages the model to produce plausible output and oftentimes this correlates very well with also being factually correct mm -hmm. but not necessarily right. especially the longer the context gets and the more niche let's say the topic gets these things can produce um yeah factually incorrect outputs maybe even come up with sources that sound very plausible but when you search right. for it then actually this book or paper doesn't actually exist so it's yeah it's definitely not replacing search or good research We'll get into prompt engineering in a moment, and I wanna, I'm going to ask you about temperature uh, there as well. But maybe for, very quickly, uh, so 
I do understand that, for example, Open and I did use uh, through what they called what exactly reinforcement learning by humans a way to increase this what you call plausibility, right? How maybe not get too much into the technical details, but in a couple of sentences, how did that work? How could they then increase the plausibility of the outcome of their model? Yes, I think there are two factors. It's maybe on the one hand, the plausibility, but mm -hmm. also partially reducing, for example, toxicity and mm -hmm. biased outputs. Because the great thing is with, with fine-tuning and everything happening through this uh, reinforcement learning from human feedback method is that it is using more curated, yeah, well-designed well um, mm. data that just is less biased, is less factually incorrect. So it's nudging the model more towards behaving that way. And another crucial factor here is so-called instructions or in instruct-based learning where we do have this large model, but it's a bit difficult to, to control in mm. its core. And by fine-tuning on a data set that works with uh, so-called instructs. So, so you ask the model something, but you also ask to, for example, give the answer in a specific way. Let's say you ask the question in, in English language, but then you say in your question, please reply mm. in German. Okay. By training this way, this kind of gives us more control. And also then when we later interact with the model to, to ask and use instructions to shape how the model replies. And for example, you can also say, please give me a poem in the style of uh, English literature from the 1700s. Um, and usually this will give, this is first of all quite entertaining, but also quite impressive actually how mm. well you can then also steer how the model behaves. So, so that's how they use training methods to give us essentially more control over the model than also at inference time. Okay. Uh, when you say bias, and by the way, the things we're discussing now, and for those of you listeners that are going to, Uh, you know, are really here for the industrial bit. Um, I'm sure that most of you are still very interested in the general uh, knowledge about these large language models. So I'm still going to ask, and then we're going to move slowly towards closer towards industrial. But the reason saying is that is, you know, a thing like bias is a thing that normally in industrial, you know, where equipment where machines where sensors uh, operate and work and we want to improve the working and efficiency is less of an issue i would say in general than in a consumer uh, world right but uh, i still ask the question so bias i would assume comes out of the training data right so if we learned at the beginning of a lot of large language models when they would do like you know a political test we have those tests i know in germany It's half a year before elections are people that are not really certain who they, they should vote. They can go to these, you know, there's a couple of questions, I believe, and then maybe outcomes a suggestion. It asks for who are you in this world? Is that right? So, I mean, can you, how can you improve? How can you get rid of bias, so to say? Do you need to get, you know, need to train with uh, other data, so to speak? Yes, there are definitely different ways to addressing this. Um, so you are absolutely correct. So this comes essentially from the training data. So mm. these models in this first version, um, they are basically trained on large portions of the internet. Right. <laughs> And this is humanly created data. And what it learns, it's a probabilistic model. So it will kind of learn the average answer that is given or can be perceived from and taken from this data that is put in. And that's why it's also important to create and curate these fine-tuning data sets. Um, this is definitely a step where you can counter 
act um, these trends. And that's why it's also very crucial to have diverse teams working on these issues, just to make sure that different views are factored in when training these large language models. And I think that's, that's a very crucial thing where we also need to engage in a public debate on the, the ethics and morals around this and make yeah. sure that different voices are heard and right. yeah, we, we create diverse models and have this debate. Um, of course, there's like ambiguity in this, um, not right and wrong in many right. of these cases. So it is inherently. <laughs> there is not one truth, right? Yeah. I think we're going to get to that later. And maybe when we, when we think then industrial, and maybe we're going to have like a discussion later on or information from you about how, you know, providers of information, you know, of, in this case, you know, manufacturing equipment, or it doesn't matter what, but that's what we talk about here kind of thing that you can, that I can imagine that you're going to, in addition, train or give the model access to additional information. If that's done a one shot, few shot, how you call that learning, but additional information, which is then your specific information. And I'm sure that in the future, you're going to have many different versions of, you can probably say very similar to what I just said when you don't know what party to vote no, you you then probably so that is then probably all about personalization you need to, to tell the model who you are how you what how do you see life you know how do you see things and then maybe you get an answer into your towards your direction but that's a huge uh, discussion i do not really want to go into <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and i would also say yeah you, you can kind of see especially for things like this or creative exchange, yeah. you can maybe see these models more as a as a sparings partner where you engage in a discussion, but you maybe not agree with everything, but you can mm. yeah, maybe spark some thoughts or creative ideas. <laughs> That's what we want to discuss right now because I started actually this uh, introductory course. I think it was by uh, Andrew Wang, a colleague from OpenAI. I'm not sure you saw that one. I believe that you do one as well. And please do and share that with us if you do. So prompt engineering. What is prompting? What is prompt engineering? Why do we need to learn about it? How important is it? Is it only for like let's say an introductory time when people need to learn how to deal with these models or do you and and at some point in time it's going to be automated question mark <laughs> because everything seems to be automated i saw one this morning i was preparing for a data science uh, in november refer to that later course and then and i saw this one chat gpt where you know you interact with the model and that's what i'm asking you right now specifically on in this case you know a, a huge data file and you just ask everything and in an interactive way in two three minutes you get all the data which maybe until now you spend a couple of hours on so prompt engineering yes prompt engineering it's it's a trend word. I think uh, mm, right. <laughs> this has also been rising over the past months only. This was really not a thing before ChatGPT. So it's very exciting to see how these new roles and new tasks essentially arise. Right. And I think there we also see not everything is going to be automated because there will always be new ways and new things rising. And in its core, prompting is, is the art and science of finding a suitable input for a mm -hmm. language model like ChatGPT, um, to reach a specific output. And I think maybe one can, can kind of compare it to the practice of requirements engineering. So when you're building a solution in traditional software engineering, let's say, or basically any product, um, project, you first have to really digest and break down what you want to solve, what problem you want to solve, okay. and what you need to do to yeah get there and what the requirements are. 
So prompt engineering really isn't trivial. We already kind of brushed on that topic earlier when we said that nowadays to achieve a certain task with these language models, it's really about designing and engineering the input and these instructions to reach this desired output. So for example, one could, let's say we want to generate a certain text about a certain topic in a certain style, then my task as a prompt engineer is now to describe that, maybe give examples also and give context. So I'm not only putting in some bullet notes what the text should be about, but maybe I'm also providing longer documents as context right. or similar examples if I want to mimic a certain style of writing and thinking about these things that can essentially help to achieve a certain output. And it's usually a very iterative process to get there. Right. Did I see that you are kind of giving a training on that as well or not? Or was it? Oh, you, you do. So people interested in you know, learning a bit more about prompt engineering, they could if they want to contact exactly. you. So we are offering workshops around that, ah, okay, you know, that topic. And in particular, we are then also looking into finding concrete applications. I think that's that's always very, very important. So it's not only about yeah, learning learning how to prompt, but essentially it gets really interesting when you think about which problems can I actually solve here. And this should always be the first step, like in any project, any product, thinking about what the business value would be, thinking about what you actually want to achieve and want to solve. And then you can think about how this could happen if it's more creative process where human and the machine interact or maybe it's a use case where you have a repetitive task that can be automated and this is what we address in these kind of workshops and also in general of course if someone's curious to to have a chat and think about applications here um, sure. feel free to reach out uh yeah as i said i started a workshop like this one with andrew a colleague uh, from from open ai but of course and very much so people interested listeners interested can contact you yeah prompt engineering is one of those new jobs that we didn't know about it only exists for what, a couple of weeks maybe i don't know newly born child on the block you know i've been saying for five years and many other people you know there's not a single job that is not going to be you know changing because of ai machine learning now it turns out to be large language models for the moment and there's going to be other tools and approaches as well and yes certain jobs are going to be gone completely you know and those listeners that you know are aware of that you know make sure that you are taking a positive reactive positive forward-looking approach and on the other hand we're going to have new jobs like the prompt engineer are you going to become a prompt engineer understand you can learn other you can earn a lot of money with certain companies today being an experienced prompt engineer so that's very nice to see that always the chance opportunity side of the introduction of the large language models as well as knowing that you know certain jobs are going to be so productive that maybe we're not going to need the same number of people uh, doing the things that they have been doing so far. Can you give us maybe um, like a, a quick overview of the current uh, large language model offerings in the market? You know, we keep on talking about ChatGPT and of course they were the ones that got all the media attention, but they were, they are not the only ones. W which are maybe the other two, three, four bigger ones, smaller ones, open source, etc. And what are their specific USPs in what market segments are are they available? Yes, I think you already addressed quite a crucial point, namely this this point of that each of these models has a different focus and can be used for, for different tasks potentially. So um, that's really what I would say 
one has to think about and it's maybe even more important than being aware of what's out there right now because I can tell you in a month it's going to be outdated again. <laughs> so it's, for example, you can think about, do I really need the best, largest model? And then I might want to work with these models that are um, being published, for example, by OpenAI. So being that GPT 3.5 or GPT for these are available via APIs, and but it's of course, um, yeah, proprietary. So you you pay right. by API call. I think mm -hmm. it's per thousand tokens, and then you have a price tag for that. So that is a way that one can work with these models via an API for these proprietary offers like OpenAI. Mm -hmm. There you you get a really really good performance. So if you're looking for that, that might be your way to go. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, you might also be looking for a model where you can deploy it yourself, maybe because of privacy concerns, if you have very specific personalized data that you would like to input into the model, you might want to opt for an option where you can deploy the model yourself, um, mm -hmm. go for an open source solution. Dolly 2 is an option by Databricks um, that has been um, open sourced and is also available for commercial use. That's always important to look out for. For example, the Alpaca model, that's one that's also open source, but it's not available for commercial use. So if you okay. want to use it in your business, that's something to look out for. Always depends on the open source definition, right? You need to look at the details there, right? Exactly. Look at the okay. details and the license mm. and then the license, uh, look yeah. at what you can use it for or cannot use it for. And these models also perform really well already i'm really sure to see great advances in the future as well in, in the open source space here but they are a bit smaller usually than what is available for example from OpenAI or google right smaller in the context of the amount of data that they have been trained on you mean or exactly and also a parameter size but that can also be an upside because exactly. especially in the industrial space you might have um, edge computing so you might have models running on machines directly and not on a super-powered GPU, let's say. Right. So that can definitely be an upside to have a smaller model. And you should always first think about, yeah, really, what are the requirements? What do I want to achieve here? Do I really need the full-fledged dialogue chatbot? Or do I actually just want to, for example, extract the meaning from text, mm. analyze text? Maybe I can go even with smaller right. models and go with the standard open source solutions there. It was just the, this morning that I was looking and there is this, I don't know if you saw that, this, uh, they say it's a leaked internal Google document. So I have no clue uh, what this is. I, I need to say this specifically, but it, it says that, you know, we have no mode and neither does OpenAI, which is a leaked internal Google document claims open source AI will outcompete Google and OpenAI. So I'm not going to take this, this left or right. And you have been saying, you know, listeners need to decide for themselves you know what direction they want to go i mean robert has a separate uh, open source uh, podcast i think you know listeners are already part of that market or not you know certain people want that other ones do not want but i think that the point that you made is you know you need to decide for yourself which is which is your solution right and maybe when we say specifically in Russell, we come to that in a moment let's stay there you know what what is it then based on what we've been discussing that what is the one word that you call it by the way do you say large language models chat gpt well that's only one we know and how does it relate to the word generative you talked about being creative at the beginning what is the one single word that we say representing or is it still nlp or what do you use 
Uh, that's uh, <laughs> feels nearly like a philosophical question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Each of these terms also stretches a bit in different directions. While they all overlap, of course, uh, it's a fun part of definitions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Personally, um, when when talking about language and the recent developments, I really like to talk about large language models or okay. also foundational models, because those are the the parts where this, this power is coming from. So we are yeah. building on top of these, fine-tuning these for specific use cases. And this is really exciting. But foundation models also can be not only text-based, but can also be even spanning different modalities. So being that text-to-speech or text-to-image or vice versa. Maybe it is a little bit um, like philosophical. People say I sometimes go that direction, but I do believe it's also more like from a, not necessarily a branding, it's more like a product category, category kind of thing. You know, I, as a, um, as a, let's say, as a, not as a, as a professional, you know, in my private environment since a couple of weeks, one, two months, and being asked about AI suddenly all the time because it's now in television, radio, and everywhere. And people then talk about AI. You know, that's one thing, sure. You know, and they want to know from me what it is. Uh, or they do talk about ChatGPT. And, and what I was, I'm just thinking at the very moment, because I've been doing branding with Intel for many, many years, there was this problem of when we ask for a tissue, a paper tissue in Germany, we many times ask for a tempo, right? That's a brand. It's a brand name, which is almost a bad thing. Maybe sometimes you get this brand tempo. It's, I believe it's called mm -hmm. that, right? Or you get a different tissue, which is not the same high quality. And the point that may happen, and but we're not going to go into the details, that in the future, people are going to talk about chat GPT all the time. Maybe even if they've been buying some kind of open source solution, which they are very happy with. So maybe they didn't get the high level. That was more the reason I was asking you. We stay with what you uh, suggested as the title, you know, Chat GPT and Co. Uh, and then what is it? You 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 stepped into industrial. You said you know maybe certain. That's always the question industrial. We have cloud-based solutions, or you know for very good specific reasons we use edge solutions. So that is one specific thing we can talk about. But what is it then that Chat GPT other LLMs can you know provide our listeners in an industrial environment? Yes, I think you also just mentioned a very very important point there. Namely, that ChatGPT is not the <laughs> the AI solution for every single use case, and I think that's a very important distinction to make. And especially in the industrial space, we see that if you look towards production, for example, there are uh, so many very fascinating, really, really important use cases mm -hmm. that one can work on to, uh, for example, increase yield and, and quality also in production. Mm -hmm. But usually, the data that we see there is either time series, so for example, right. sensor data, or it is images, for example, for visual mm -hmm. quality control. And I would really say that this is super important to distinguish here. ChatGPT will not help you with that, but other machine learning methods will, and they are also amazing and <laughs> deserve a space, also in imaging Great things are happening there uh, in research at the moment as well. So watch this space. It's not only language. Right. So, but that's important. I want to, let me ask you. So I can also, I cannot ask ChatGPT to help me. As I just said this morning, there was this database 
and the person doing the demo was saying, you know, here's the whatever, the data, give me a quick, you know, overview of the most important features graphically. I cannot be asking ChatGPT other ones to, okay, here's the database, this is a time series database, and tell me uh, what anomalies are in there. No, you can't, not not at the moment. And and also there, I think it's going to be very interesting to see where this trend is going. Mm -hmm. Personally, I believe that we will rather see a range of different modules working together, essentially. Maybe it's that's the way you can think yeah. about it. So we will have language models okay. that can act as an interface of us being able to be frame a question like that. Why is this process currently stalling or why why are my parts uh, breaking at this particular point? And then there's going to be other models in the background answering be this be question from performing these kind of tasks. I say very good because that's kind of what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> Now, really, I mean, if we're going to learn a new way of interacting with some kind of what we call AI or whatever we call it, And we're going to be happy with doing that in a very interactive approach. Then I would feel ex I would have almost thought it exactly like that. And if at least then the language um, model is kind of the yeah is the interface for me, you know, speaking with whatever is behind it, and itself almost like in its own model as a as a ChatGPT can answer, can do certain productivity enhancement things for me, and also answer specific questions and if it cannot you know it then you know as you suggest i believe connects to another and whatever in the background and i don't necessarily really care so then maybe at some point in time it could do exactly as i just asked you know tell me where the anomaly in this time series database is exactly and i think that's that's really important to distinguish here kind of this One stream where we want to work on other machine learning use cases as well, make sure to gather, for example, sensor data to be able to do things like predictive maintenance or visual quality control or also causality analysis for failure modes. So this would be the first step because this is where most of the value, I would say, is generated. And then as a second step, future outlook, or maybe if you already have a smart factory, this is something you can, you can tackle, you can move into the space of improving how we communicate with that because the trend will be going towards these language interfaces. But laying the basis here is super important and super crucial um, because as long as I don't really have this data, maybe, I can also not ask ChatGPT to to <laughs> solve that for me, essentially. So, well, yeah, I assume because this is super, super interesting, you know, because that's what I believe is that many listeners are probably looking for as well. So what I hear you say is like, right, you know, that uh, a, a chat GPT or other model does not give that capability today. But if listeners are interested, maybe, I don't know, I'm not going to send them to you with that request, but they could. Maybe they can ask you and you can sit together and maybe, so maybe it's not like off the shelf today, you know, like a chat GPT. GPT is off the shelf. Everybody can use it today. But maybe you could engineer, so to say, uh, a solution for, or it's going to take a bit longer time before what we just talked about will be possible. Yes, absolutely. So I do really think it still is engineering work. Workflows are very unique. And uh, what we also do in our day-to-day -day business is really sitting down and exploring the Yeah, AI maturity, looking into the data and then discussing where are the biggest pain points and where can we address that with machine learning and yeah, create create solutions for that and move towards value generation as yeah, on the quickest way possible, let's say. Okay. Um, and then of course, I mean, there are also 
also in industrial settings, you might have text data. So there are also use cases that you can solve there with text. Depending on the part of the organization, maybe they are more available in the marketing, sales or service side rather than in, in production. Uh, so before we, we need to kind of come to a close here, what, how do you suggest that uh, listeners, you know, interested, introduce these kind of large language models into their organizations? What are the steps that they should take? Yeah, I, th I think there are three core steps that you can take, and that's how we approach it at Marantix mm -hmm. Momentum as well when, when discussing and working together with our clients. So first of all, is really about ideation and bringing the right people in a room to come up with mm. these ideas. And the domain experts are playing a very crucial role here. So you, you want to bring domain experts and AI experts in one room to surface ideas, generate ideas, and uh, come up with a long list, let's say, say of these mm. ideas. And then the next step is validation. So from this idea pool, you can then go and think about which is really where do we see the biggest business drivers? How is this? Can this be solved technically? We like to work with the AI canvas here. You can check it out on our website if you like. It's a tool to really have this thoughts and go through these discussions in a structured way. And then last but not least, uh, once you've identified a use case that is particularly promising from a business perspective, but also from a technical perspective, you can then go into implementation and again, kind of to reduce the risk of the project. And it makes a lot of sense to start with a small proof of concept maybe, and then move into building a full-fledged minimum viable product and then taking that to production in the last step. Okay. Yeah. As you, as you mentioned, your, your team, who are the people around you? Uh, what, what are their specific roles? Where are you based? And maybe you're even looking for new employees as well. What should they bring if so? Sure. So we are based in Berlin. We are currently around 60 employees at Morantix Momentum. And um, at the core, we are a tech company. So we do have a great workforce of engineers um, that are specialized in machine learning, but also, for example, full stack development and machine learning operations. So we do bring all the skills to the table that are required to identify use cases, implement those, and then also bring them into production operating these solutions. So this is essentially the core of our engineering unit, I would say. Mm -hmm. And it's an incredibly fun environment to work in, I would, I would personally say. And mm -hmm. also uh, very smart and talented people around me and very inspiring to work with them on a day-to-day basis. And then in addition to that, we do also have a research team. So we try to always push the boundaries of what's possible in machine learning, especially also in the applied and industrial environment. Um, so that's an, another team that we have within Brantix Momentum. And we are always uh, curious to hear and uh, happy to chat to uh, someone. If, if you're now getting curious and you would like to work with us, let me know. We are also um, especially currently looking to increase and build up our strategy team even further. And if you're curious to support companies in scaling their AI activities on a strategic level, then we're very keen to hear from you. Sounds great. Pushing the boundaries even further, as if things were not going fast enough these <laughs> days. Every morning we wake up, there is something new and 10 things have happened overnight. 
Uh, nevertheless, uh, that sounds great. Final uh, comment from you, Hannah. So where are we standing? You know, we, we talked about ChatGPT, large language models. We're still looking for the one uh, name of the the category, so to, so to say. Where are we standing? I, I mentioned, you know, Jeff Hinton, you know, resigning. Uh, what, what does that mean? All these things together. Where are we standing As I said, where are we standing also relatively in the United States, Europe, Germany, other countries, China, Asia? And what is the next years, what are they going to bring us? And then more specifically towards what we said also in an industrial environment, what are the, the large language models uh, are going to do with us? Or what are we going to do with them? Yeah, we are definitely living in very exciting times. That is for sure. And things are moving incredibly fast around the globe. So we can see, especially these large uh, corporations currently taking the lead in developing these large uh, models. So Microsoft, Google, uh, Meta, but also um, Chinese companies like Baidu um, are, for example, currently working on, on models like that. Nevertheless, I, I must say, I think we have insanely interesting data resources, especially in the industrial space in mm -hmm. Germany and Europe. And there's definitely no reason to stop or not try to make use of that. And the most exciting trends that I'm personally seeing, apart from, of course, this technology also evolving further, is to see language more and more as an interface. We already said that, not only between humans and other humans, mm -hmm. but also humans and machines or potentially even between machines. And this other aspect, what I'm particularly excited about, um, where I truly believe in is really this interaction-centric AI and having humans and machines working together in a collaborative mode and having more and more applications that are not just broadcasting, let's say, predictions to us as humans, but that are engaging with us and act on feedback and improve also from feedback so that we develop solutions that really support us in what we want to achieve in a collaborative way. Thank you, Anna, for these inspiring closing words, almost like bringing humans and machines maybe, can I say, closer <laughs> together. Listeners that do want to get in touch with you, there's a couple of reasons I believe that you have been giving them. They can best contact you on LinkedIn, is what you suggested. Hanna Binke, H-A-N-N-A, Binke is B-E-H-N-K-E. E will put your details on the podcast notes as well. And uh, otherwise, if you, dear listener, have any question, comment, as always, please send a short email to peter at aipod.de. Uh, yeah, I'm very happy that you stayed uh, with us so far. Looking forward to have you again with us. And Anna, thank you so much. Uh, and maybe, maybe see you in November, you know, at the Predictive Analytics for Industry 4.0 conference. Uh, it's exactly where Marantic's momentum is as well in Berlin. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. And thanks so much, Peter, for having me. It was great talking to you and have a great day. Thank you. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.